For many business leaders, conflict feels like a topic best left to human resources. Yet unresolved conflict has real bottom line impact. Loss in revenue, legal costs, drop in productivity, decreased motivation, and turnover. That's why we've created the Beauty of Conflict Journey, an online interactive learning experience to help you, your team, and your entire organization learn to embrace conflict in new and healthy ways. Find out more at www.thriving.com forward slash BOC hyphen journey. And we'll put that link in the show notes. Hello, this is Susan. And today we will continue with part two from our Tara Staffing HR Hotspot recording. Enjoy. So we're going to talk about the three main areas, and hopefully we might have to skirt through some of this. There's something, there's skills that to help you, there's relational skills, and then there's skills in the business situation to help deal with a conflict. And first, we want to talk about why does conflict feel so bad? And here is a healthy, we have nervous systems that regulate. We we have stress, we've got a We've got to run out of the way of a car, but then we recover. Or we've got to get a big project done, and then we'd have a weekend break. And so we have to have a tough conversation. Yeah, and then we have, we're in it. So, <laughs> so the, this is a healthy nervous system. But what happens in the middle of stress is there's tension and uncertainty, and we literally go into a fight, flight, or freeze mode. We're reactive. Those opt-out styles are reactive. Our focus narrows. This other person is a threat to me right now. And I literally, my IQ goes down and it's really our prefrontal cortex is our CEO. It's the one that helps us plan and analyze, become self-aware. But what happens is our amygdala, which is deeper in our brain, takes over. And the amygdala really is bear, no bear, two settings. And so it thinks, "Uh uh-oh, this person is a threat to me. And it's responsible for all these chemicals that really... It's not really great in an office setting. <laughs> so our when our IQ drops at 10 to 15 points, it's the same as coming to work hungover or sleep deprived. So you're literally less intelligent while you're trying to have this tough conversation in a meeting or one-on-one with somebody. So we just want you to be aware of that because you, there's things you can do to settle your amygdala and bring your prefrontal cortex back online. This is all, we also become more selfish when we're in the, like, I've got to take care of me. I forget about the company or you. And I I try to think in the moment that we're actually smarter. That's the belief. Because the adrenaline makes us more bold. So we're going to, we wind up saying things we later regret. It's the adrenaline talking, not our prefrontal cortex. And what can happen is you can get there's things that we do like multitasking, squeezing one more thing on my to-do list. Those types of things keep us in that state of fight, flight, or freeze, which keeps our IQ lower. So it's easy to get stuck in that chronic stress response, which one isn't good for your health, but also is not good for your relationships. And your brain gets addicted to cortisol and adrenaline and thinks it's a good thing. So often when there's been, and especially more recently with one meeting after another on Zoom. So you're not having to, there's no breaks. Things continue to happen and you get stuck on. But if you're stuck on for too long, then you actually get- You collapse. And you're off. And it can look like you're just exhausted. And sadly, this is often burnout. And then we send people home. And it's actually not the best thing to do to send somebody home. They actually need to find a way to regulate that stress level in the context in which it's set up in, because that's probably the only way they're going to find ways to create that space 
in the context of the work they do, not just by giving them a massage. It's that's actually probably not going to do the trick. Because our tension comes up in relationship, it needs to be resolved in relationship because otherwise it's just out there hanging, even though we've gotten a massage and all that. We need to learn how to repair the relationships. And so what this is called is dysregulation when you get that. And that just, it affects individuals, but it affects whole teams and whole organizations. They can get quite dysregulated. I think we're seeing a lot of that right now in the tech industry with what's going on, even the banking industry. And (laughs) there's going to be some strong consequences to how this ends up playing out. And yet at the same time, we can take care of ourselves. That's actually the thing that kind of needs to be addressed. So we want to help you build your capacity, your team's capacity, your organization's capacity to respond rather than react in conflict, or even if you're reacting, to come back and regulate and recover from that reaction, because that's going to happen. We're human beings. So we're going to jump into the me. So that's the first area of skill building. And so we've got lots of tools, but what you want to do is notice when you're like, oh, I'm in that fight, flight, or freeze and come recognize I'm not actually helping the situation right now. I need to come down that stress curve. And the first thing is start to develop self-awareness. So pause because you're in that fast brain. You're not, you're less self-aware. Pause and notice, what am I thinking? What am I feeling? What are the body sensations? And you're going to start to notice patterns when you start to interrupt yourself in this way. And for us, probably the biggest thing here that differentiates this, and it's more and more calming now, is to really recognize the importance of getting in the body. Not just taking that moment to take a breath, notice sensations, because one quick way to get a person out of a trauma response is to ask them about how does that show up in your body? How is it showing up in you physically? What's the sensation? That actually can help to get someone out of the drama. So because this pause is so powerful to bring your prefrontal cortex back online and to start the regulation process, a simple tool. You're in the middle of the meeting. What am I going to do? Chris Marie, I'm stressed and conflict's happening. We want you to bring your awareness, not from your busy brain that's gone into fight or flight or freeze, but down into your slow moving feet. And just, you can even try this now. Wiggle your toes, swipe your feet. Imagine you could feel them getting heavier, like they're rooted to the ground. Even bring your awareness to your seat. Like what's supporting you or lean back and feel the support of the chair. And just know that chair is going to support you because your brain's telling you there's angry villagers that are about to get you, even though this is a actually tell a broadcast to your body. No, actually, right now I am physically safe and I am supported. And these are all simple, very simple things you can do in any context, even just slowly looking around the room or those are things that don't that, that just cause that pause, that break between the high charge to give you a little bit of time to come down the curve. Because even what Susan's saying, turning your head, what you're doing is you're accessing the vagus nerve, which is the second largest nerve in your body besides your spine. And if your fight or flight is your accelerator, this vagus nerve is your braking system, like on pumping the brakes on a car. So it brings you back down into your rest and digest, which brings your prefrontal cortex back online. And so these tools really help you become more responsive. You can start to acknowledge what's going on. Your confidence, creativity comes back. 
mainly your IQ, you start thinking more holistically in your brain. And that's really what you want. You have more choice in that situation. There's many tools. We just gave you the feet and seat is an easy one, the looking around the room, taking a breath. And we think the importance of this is as you begin to get out of that high charged place, it also drops you into your more fully into the present moment. And in that moment, you're going to feel some of this vulnerability. You're not as armored. You're not that veil that is protecting you is not there. And we think vulnerability is key to having career conversations or showing up. And vulnerability, you have a choice. Am I going to stay hidden or am I going to be real? And that is the choice point that makes all the difference in how you show up in a conflict situation. And even if you're dealing with somebody that you think is completely unreasonable or whatever, for you to say, wow, I'm uncomfortable right now, or wow, I have no response to what you just said about the whole drama situation, or I realize I'm being pushy because I'm worried about time. That sort of real acknowledgement is so powerful in a conflict situation because you're just showing up. It brings you to the present moment. Don't even worry about the impact it has on the other human being. You are there for yourself. That dropping in your own shoes is quite powerful. Okay. So that the whole thing on the me is you want to one, start to notice what are your, because in a conflict situation, you probably have similar reactions. So start to know what they are in the body, the thoughts, the, the emotions and use some tools to come down that stress curve and acknowledge what is happening for you. And own your part. That's a big, that can make all the difference and usually helps other people be more willing to show up with vulnerability. So even in that situation with the drama person saying, I, I have to say, I'm not comfortable with the level of drama that keeps coming up and maybe I don't understand it. So I need to get more information from you. But you see, I'm actually not making it all about the other person. I'm acknowledging something to help them maybe take down a brick from their wall or whatever, however you want to say it. Now, the third, we have the me, the we, and the business. So we're going to go into the we, which is really the relationships piece. So we have a little Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. Just think about when you hear that, what comes up. Usually it's the little nursery rhymey thing where he mm -hmm. fell down and he busted himself. But this is an equally true. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. Look at him carving pumpkins, picking apples, the fire, taking a walk. Whole different story, right? <laughs> same phrase. So acknowledging the same words, we put those words together differently. Everybody puts the world together differently. We assume everybody thinks like us. It's so obvious to us. But there's so many reasons why that's not the case. Yeah. Sometimes we don't even know how we put the gather the pieces because there's some complexity there. And then to pretend to imagine that we understand how somebody else has is just absurd. <laughs> and the problem is we tend to think, well, wait a minute, I'm right and you're wrong. And we get into this power struggle. That's a no win when you're in that place. Even that would be another place like I feel helpless. We're stuck and I don't know how to get through it would be a way to acknowledge in that moment if you're in this place. So what you want to bring is this quality of curiosity. Even though he attributed it to Walt Whitman, apparently it wasn't Walt Whitman, maybe it was, but the idea of don't be, be curious, not judgmental. 
And I actually don't know if I'm more of like, just be curious. You can still be judgmental, but let curiosity over lead (laughs) because you were hired for people were hired for their subject matter expertise to be right and all of that. So if you can just add curiosity to it, then you got the mix that's going to help you be able to include your own subject matter expertise and really make room for other people's perspective. I really believe it. It activates a different part of our brain when we can move into curiosity versus that rigid rightness. And so one, we just wanted to give you a way of what happens when we're processing the world, because we take in data, what we hear and what we see, and it immediately goes through our own personal filter. And our personal filter are all our significant emotional events, your career, your gender, whatever. Yeah, all sorts of different things. I couldn't even name all of them. (laughs) But that filter is like a big data table in our head. And it deletes, distorts, and generalizes information. And we have to do this to manage in the world. But most of us don't know what we're doing it. And this is a source of cognitive bias that you were learning much more about in the business world. We have our own biases and we're not aware of them. It's like we're wearing this filter on our head and we have no idea. And then out pops a story. And it's our interpretation. It's how we attach meaning to a situation. But it's still a story. It's not truth. It could be your truth, but not the truth. So it's your assumption, what you think, your theory, your hunch. Your imagination. Yeah. And based upon that story, you have a feeling. I think of our feelings as a big GPS system for us, the way we can locate ourselves. But I don't go into 87 more. That's way too much for me. But I like to keep it physiological in nature. I'm open. I'm closed. I'm warm. I'm distant. Those types of measures, get, keep it inside of me because I, too often we project feelings onto other people, but that's actually not necessarily their feelings. That's actually a story we're telling ourselves about the other person. And the way to get back to your own feelings is to know the physiology of it. So one, the first step is for you to start when you're dealing with somebody that's difficult for you, whether it's a drama person or somebody else, write down what is the data What's my story? And can I track back my personal filter? How did I come to this conclusion that my story is right? Because you usually do think that. And how is it impacting me? Do I feel more distant? Do I feel tight? Whatever that is. And then you want to actually go have the conversation and you really want to check out your story. This is not about being right. Am I right? But you want to say, hey, I saw this. My story is that but I want to check it out with you. Do you agree or disagree? We're sitting here at a desk with our computer in front of us. And periodically I see Chris Marie jot something down really quickly on the piece of paper in front of her. And are you checking this story out? I'm checking it out. I look over and I can't read what you wrote, but I interpret a lot of energy, like movement, (laughs) past movement. So my story is that you're frustrated with something I'm doing, that I'm talking too much or I've taken up too much time or you're worried about us not having enough time. So I want to find out these little messages that I can't read. Are they directed at me? Are you checking checking it out? out. (laughs) They are not. Okay. (laughs) Well, this one was, hey, do you have an example which you wound up doing? Oh, just with me. I couldn't read it, but Uh, (laughs) And I do have a certain amount of energy because I jam-packed this presentation, so I have to keep it moving. So that's really, but you're not doing anything wrong. Okay. So, but you see, what happens if I don't check out my story is I start to get even more tense every time she uses that pen. And I think that it's about me. And then the next thing you know, I'm mad at her for, and this, this type of thing happens all the time versus, let me just find out, is this what's happening? Are we, yeah. I'm so glad you checked it out. 
So you see, you can happen in the moment. If something has happened, when you want to check out your story is you're driving home and you're obsessing about that conversation. You want to check out your story. Or you're in the middle of a meeting and you're chatting about somebody else in the meeting to a third party, that triangulation. You need to actually check out your story. Or at the office the next day, you're gossiping or complaining about another human. That's when you want to go check out your story. These are some cues that would be good if you were willing to have that conversation. And the whole idea is to build the bridge, not to, it's not about figuring out what's right and wrong. We have that old mental model from school. It's really about building a bridge to somebody. So even if Susan, like I could have done this, like is just reflect back what I'm hearing. So you think anytime I write something down, it's actually, I'm mad at you. You're trying to get me to do something faster. It's probably, (laughs) that would be this story. (laughs) Yes. Okay. Well, I can imagine that would be upsetting if that's what you thought was going on. Yeah. Yes. I start to go faster. So all I'm doing, I'm. you notice I haven't agreed or disagreed. I did previously. But if I was just, what well, we call this catching the ball. If I was just reflecting back, I'm not agreeing or disagreeing, but I'm actually letting this other human being know I understand how they put the world together. And it's good to reflect back the gist of what she's saying and the emotional tone, which I don't know if I did as well, but in that example. I think the key in this type of situation that we're talking about, in conflict in general, is to really ask yourself the question, is this about being relational or is this about being right? So often that question, just even ask myself right now, really what's important here? Because a lot of times at work, I think in managers, they're supposed to be holding people accountable or doing this and that. And it's like, wait a minute, equally important your job is to be relational. So you really have to figure out at any given moment, what am I up to? And that can be a challenge because in the moment you could have been, we need to get on with time. Or you could say, no, this is okay for us to talk about and have take a little more time. And this is a totally underutilized skill. If this was only the only thing you took and practiced, I think you would make a world of difference. Of course, though, I want you to come down that stress curve too for yourselves. (laughs) So- We just wanted to give you these, This we call this our conflict, your conflict compass. How real, how vulnerable, and how open or closed are you? This is vulnerable and curiosity. And we want you to get to the influencer state, or we support people getting into the influencer state, which is one, I'm willing to acknowledge. And I'm also willing to see how you put the world together. Because then I'm in the present moment, and that's where real change can occur versus I've got to convince this person of X. That's not in the present moment. And, it, and earlier when I was talking about just be aware of when, to, for some of you that are HR people, or I know for myself as a coach sometimes, am I willing to be real? Which means I may have to say something that my job might tell me I should not say. But on the service of being real and vulnerable, I'm going to say it. And then I'm going to be open and see how it lands versus using my role to say, but I can't say anything because my job tells me I can't. And just... That distinction can be pretty significant in how much influence you have in in a given situation. And these map to those opt-out styles. So a superstar, they're usually real, like, I think we should do this. And they're just going to go do it. (laughs) So they're not really very open to other people's idea, but they're usually telling you what they think. A separator is usually not, is hidden. They're not saying what they think, nor are they really interested. They're really not interested in the human dynamics. They're more rational. So they're not really real or open. And the accommodator, 
is very open to the other person. They're just not showing up with what's really going on with them. They may not even be like in a freeze response. I don't even know what's going on with me. So it could be some of that. Really moving into the influencer is about those two, what we call those two magic ingredients, vulnerability and curiosity. Now we want to go where this all happens is in the midst of business. <laughs> or a given situation or problem. Yeah. Yes. And the key is you want to get everybody rowing in the same direction in a meeting, on the team, in the business overall. But what happens is in that avoiding conflict, you see here you've got Ted and Jane are just not participating. Allison's loud. Ethan's the leader and Dean's loud. So basically the team IQ is Allison, Dean's, and, and Ethan's. And Ethan can even trump Allison and Dean's because he, he can just say, we're just going to do it my way. Yes. So you really, that shrinks the pool of which the team can make decisions. So you want to notice if that's happening in a meeting, you, you want to find your voice and break the silence. So I notice certain people are doing most of the talking. How about we pause and check in with the rest of the team? Or if you're the leader or just a loud person, I might be shutting down dialogue in my desire to keep on time. See, that was actually what she checked out. So let's pause. I want you to put your concerns on the table. And that often in we you have people that have a style that is worried about time and that can shut down dialogue. So those are just some tips to how to engage more people. And the idea behind this, and this is important to remember, it's not necessarily that People need to be heard. They don't necessarily need to get their way. So when we're talking about bringing people's voices into the room, we're not saying you have to get to consensus. Our saying, you need to get to a large enough space where everyone can put what they have to offer into the arena. Yeah, that's, it's very powerful. And a lot of times in conflict, we assume we're all talking about the same thing, the same issue. And a lot of times people have, there's a whole lot going on inside and we're talking about very different things. So you want to slow down. Don't rush to a solution because you may actually be solving the wrong problem, especially in conflict because people aren't necessarily acknowledging what's really happening. They're at this top level of like, this is the problem. This can be a really difficult thing to actually slow down, to have the right level of conversation so that you do make sure you're solving the problem you want to solve. And sometimes just asking the question, what problem are we trying to solve? Are you on the same page? Here's what I think we're trying to solve. What do you think? And you'd be surprised how often the answer is different, which <laughs> is actually a good thing that you're, un you're surfacing to actually align around, well, what problem should we be solving right now if we're on two different planes? And then hopefully you're getting the people's engaging and people are speaking up. But what can happen is we're messy, fallible creatures. We're going to inadvertently step on each other's toes, say something that Ted finally says something and it insults Allison or Allison feels disrespected. So in those interpersonal breakdowns where you start to get people stuck in their positions, again, you want to pause and ask, hey, why is this so important to you, Allison? Because then you're going to say, well, it's so important to me because my whole team put tons of time into it. And Ted, you're acting like it's no big deal. Whatever the issue is, you're going to get underneath the, the emotional layer and to the real core values or what the disrespect is about. And this can be a challenging thing to do if you're really pushing and rushing 
And you might have to say first, like I remember we did this once when we were working with a, it was actually a company over in China and they had literally everyone but one person in the room agreed about the strategic direction. And they actually were physically going after the one person. She was up against uh, a up wall. against the wall. And we were like, remember, we've taught you some skills here. This is not the, China. <laughs> this one guy he bravely went in there and said, okay. And he went over to her and he said, well, first, I just want to tell you that I'm really frustrated because you're not agreeing with us, but I'm going to try to be better, curious. And you got to know this is all coming through a translator. But this, And he sat down beside her and he said, I really want to know why it's so important to you to just stay, not join us, like to not agree with us. Like what's going on? And he started to ask questions and she started to give some interesting perspective. And you could actually see the lights go off in him like, wait a minute. I never thought of that. And it totally transformed the room within just a few seconds as he was able, one, minutes. It took a little longer than seconds. But to share that, and they went in a completely different direction. That company would have done something totally different if it hadn't have been for that moment in time. So it can be a pretty powerful thing. So anytime, this works at home too, if your kids or your spouse are stuck in their position and you're like, gosh, they're like immovable, to actually slow down and say, okay, help me understand why is this so important to you? Because they'll start to talk about really what's driving the motivation behind. And this, this is back to that person who was very dramatic. It's like that moment where you might say, I've noticed you create a lot of drama around here with some of the things you do. That's hard for me. But I actually genuinely want to be curious. Like, why is it so important to you to keep stirring this up? Like something must be going on and I'm not getting it. So you notice in that case, I'm both revealing myself. I'm acknowledging what is really happening for me in my discomfort, but I'm also then asking to be more curious and understanding of the other person. And that person then, you're being more real, they more, who knows how they'll respond? We don't. But there's an opportunity for them to actually say, well, this is the only place I get attention. <laughs> so this is how I've learned to get attention, whatever it is. Yeah. Now, the final tip, we're going back to that systemic stress, the fight flight, and then the collapse. A lot of times we just wanted to put something in here for when your company or your team is in a systemic stress, your go collapse, you really want to slow down and conduct some lessons learned. So people start to become aware of the pattern and how they're creating it. You also want to focus on collective goals. So people don't feel like they're out there all alone, that we're going through this together. And that also can help with the person who is just mired in, I've got to win. If they are collective goals, that can help to bring them a little bit more into the playing field of other people. And celebrate the wins. So often organizations are going so fast. It's like, whatever, we've got the next problem. We have, a, our brains have a negativity bias. You really have to learn to shift to focus and bring in what's working because that's just as valuable and you want to reinforce. How did we do that? Like, let's keep doing those sorts of behaviors because they're really healthy. So you want to balance so that people start to come, the system, the people and the team and the organization come back into that nice ebb and flow nervous system as opposed to, Rah! so- You've been going fast. You might feel like there's been a little bit of an adrenaline rush here. There definitely has. My brain's been on it. But it's actually happy adrenaline. I like talking about this stuff. But we do want to encourage you, one, to notice how you react. Not make that wrong because you're going to do it. But learn to build some skills in on the me to come down that stress curve, show up more vulnerably. On the we, bring curiosity, check out your story. And then in the business, 
slow down and ask, what problem are we trying to solve? Why is this so important to you? There's some of those tips that we are giving in those situations. Now, one of the things that we're doing, and we were just talking to Anne about this, we work at the executive team a lot and senior leaders, and we roll out trainings for organizations, but we're just still two people. We're a really small company. And so we've partnered with a company called Rally down here to put our training online for like as a whole portal. So teams can actually learn this, individuals and teams and whole organizations can learn these skills and practice at an individual level, practice at a team level, and bring the level of the organization's competency up. So you're not conflict incompetent, you're conflict competent. And really what's exciting about this isn't just a training, an online training. So we're just getting, we probably won't have ours up and running for another few months, but there's a rally is doing some great stuff. So our journey is coming soon, but we're so excited because we're going to, it's got videos, it's got worksheets. It's a really leadership development for the individual, for them doing this, the same tools that we're talking about, but a much more intimate level at the individual and team and organization. Thank you guys so much. Wonderful tips and advice. We really appreciate you guys and I hope everyone enjoys the rest of their day. Thanks so much, Anne. Are you a business leader who is tired of dealing with your organization's missed deadlines, politics, or a culture of complaining and blaming? The root cause of your pain is unaddressed, unresolved conflict. And did you know that 60% of employees never received basic conflict training at work? Of those that did, 95% stated it made a positive impact on how they address conflict. Check out our Beauty of Conflict journey, an online interactive learning experience that drives behavioral change through your entire organization. For more information, go to www.thriving.com forward slash BOC hyphen journey. And we'll put that link in the show notes.